Welcome to Hanks for the Memory. You got a friend in us. <laughs> this is episode 26, Toy Story from 1995. I'm Mike Manzi. And I'm Joey Lewandowski, and with us today. So over on the Cruise Club, we have a different guest for every Mission Impossible movie, because we figured there's so many of those that we want to have a different guest here. The big franchise that Tom Hanks is involved in is the Toy Story franchise, so I believe, unless I am mistaken, we're going to have a different guest on each Toy Story episode with us tonight. Uh, you've heard him before on many of our podcasts. You've heard him on a Cruise Club episode, but not a Tom Hanks, not a Hanks from the Memories episode. With us tonight, for the first time on this very podcast, we have Mr. Zach Dazan. Hello, Zach. Hello. Thank you so much for joining us to talk about Toy to take a, a trip down memory lane in many ways, back to 1995, the first feature-length computer-generated movie to be ever be nominated for an Academy Award. This is a monumental occasion. Welcome to the show. Thank you. I feel very privileged to have this one. This is a movie that I think means a lot to a lot of people. I think this is a franchise that means a lot to a lot of people, especially people our age, you know, who came of age sort of in the 80s, 90s. I think that there's a nostalgia to the Toy Story movies. Would you say, and I, I don't know the answer, what my answer is, because I, I, I don't, I just don't know. Do you have a favorite Toy Story movie of the four? Have you seen all four? Uh, I've actually only seen the three. Uh, I need to I need to catch up on the last one. I haven't seen like a movie in years. I saw. I'd say. I mean, yeah, this is the one that sticks out the most. Just if only because it's the one I've seen the most. You know, teachers okay. would put it on when they didn't want to teach. You know. Uh, so yeah, between this and Shrek, I mean, there's probably two movies I've seen more than just about anything for that particular reason. It's been a, quite a few years since since I've watched it. And I'm very glad to see it hold up. And do you have a favorite Tom Hanks movie? Is it Toy Story or is it something else? Oh, gosh. I mean, off the top of my head, it would be Toy Story. Okay. Yeah, uh, I'd say, I mean, Forrest Gump was pretty great at the time, but I don't know if it holds up as well. I don't know. I mean, we covered it already, and we don't know if it holds up. It's a very strange movie. I feel like if you loved it, you'll probably still love it. If you didn't love it, nothing's changed. Uh, so take that for what it's worth. I find it strange to think that uh, someone my age would have liked Forrest Gump, like, truly, considering, like, a lot of the charm in that is about, like, oh, I remember that 70s moment. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I remember uh, Richard Nixon. Yeah. <laughs> but I was a pretentious little kid who loved pretending he knew who things were. But today, the, the movie we're talking about is Toy Story. Now, Mike, you and I just talked about the fourth installment, That's Toy right. Story 4, over on Keanu Club this summer, because it's the year of Keanu. Keanu played Duke Kaboom in Toy Story 4. And I was drawing more than a few, I mean, for obvious reasons, but I was drawing more than a few, like, direct comparisons, direct relationships between this movie and that movie, and especially, like, the ones we talked about. Like, you remember we were talking, we had a long sort of existential conversation oh, yeah. about whether toys could talk on their own. And here, you know, we have Woody talking without his mouth moving in at the very end when he's taunting Sid. I'm like, oh, that's a that's sort of throwing a monkey wrench in what we were considering over on, on Keanu Club. <laughs> I know. I, I love how Woody has the line to the other toys that, okay, we're going to have to break some rules here. What are the rules? Who sets them? Well, one of them, I guess, is the way that they're able to talk. And I also thought it was interesting, Joey, because I think I mentioned on that episode, like, uh, you don't become alive until a child writes their name on your foot. But that's clearly not true because Buzz is, you know, very active. And, and then eventually Andy will mark him. So I don't know what to think anymore. I think they're just straight up magic. Like, I just don't care at this point. It's <laughs> right. just, it's too exhausting to try and figure it out to the point where I don't think you're supposed to 
think too hard about it. <laughs> oh, well, hopefully you have a little bit in you because I just, I mostly know my notes on this movie are just deep questions about the Toysiverse rules and logic. Well, let's get real deep into it because I feel like we could we talk go. about the movie, but <laughs> I think it's the existential, it's the, what is actually happening here that, like, for instance, okay, has a toy ever encountered one of its own like buzz sees on tv a commercial for buzz lightyear and that's his epiphany moment that's his oh i'm a toy like i thought i was a person but i am a toy i wonder what happens if buzz encounters another buzz is it also tim allen is it a different voice yeah that happens in toy story too they go to al's toy barn or whatever but i think you know he's a new toy there's the spanish one right yeah well it's set or they set him to spanish but there's a whole aisle of him and there's all those barbies and uh, in the new one we have several similar sort of like G.I. Joes and stuff, but uh, I, I I hear what you're saying, because in this, he's only got, like, one of each toy. You know, it's like, when I was a kid, I had, like, five or six little stormtroopers, you know? Like, maybe one or two of the same, like, wrestler or something. So, like, my Toy Story movie as a child in my room would be very different than this. There'd be a lot of, like, it'd be way more existential, I guess. It'd be like, how is there more than one of me? I don't... <laughs> Are we sharing a life? What is happening? Is our souls linked? My big buzz question is, do all toys come out of the package thinking they are what they represent? Oh... Like, Woody thought he's a cowboy? And Mr. Potato Head thought he was a potato? Right, well, like, I don't know, like, what even is that, right? He comes um, out going, it's... like, eat me. <laughs> I could hear him saying that. But why is he the only toy who doesn't know he's a toy? And is it because Woody has, like, a society set up where he's he's kind of figured this out with them? I don't know, like, even, like, if, even at Pizza Planet, right, the aliens think they're really aliens. Why? So why is it, what is about Woody's crew that's especially sentient? Like, even Sid's crew are kind of feral you know like they're they're friendly but they're not like super sentient until what he activates them what what is happening in woody's room that isn't happening elsewhere you might absorb you know abilities or traits or you know, whatever from your from your owner i don't know like from your kid from your host child yeah that's what i'm thinking is like they're interacting with andy so they know they're being played with the aliens inside you know the ufo grabber the the crane machine like they don't know anything of the outside world. They're still in the cave, right? Like, all they see are shadows. So, yeah, I think it's the kid. I think the kid is the factor in the equation. But then the weird question is, why does Buzz still know to act like a toy when the kid's around? Okay, now you got me. <laughs> Maybe that's inherent in their DNA. I also feel like... So Mike and I got real deep with Toy Story 4, but I feel like we were going about it through the lens of Forky. Like, I don't exactly. I know that you haven't seen the fourth movie, but are you aware of Forky? No. So Forky is a spork who... Bonnie, who at the end of three... Andy gives all of his toys to Bonnie. Spoilers for future Toy Story movies. I am so sorry. He gives all of his toys to Bonnie, and Bonnie loves them and cherishes them and plays with them and whatever. And then in four, she goes to preschool for the first time, and she makes Forky. And Forky is a spork with, like, felt tips and, like, uh, popsicle sticks for feet. And, like, he looks horrifying, but he also looks adorable. He's voiced by Tony Hale. And the entire movie, because he came out of the trash, he thinks he's trash. Whoa. And so there's a real meta, like, what do these toys think? And I think, Mike, when we were looking at Toy Story 4 through the lens of Forky, we were looking through the wrong lens because I feel like Forky's like warped perception of everything is not the way that we should try to ascertain the internal logic in the Toy Story universe. But I also don't know if from movie to movie, if there is really a, con like I'm sure that there's consistency to some extent, but I don't know if the logic inherent in what makes a toy a toy, where a toy's sentience comes from, how that toy behaves, if that tracks through all of them. And what's going to be interesting, I think, about Hanks of the Memories is because I've never watched all four of these so tightly together. Like I know it's, it's going 
going to take like a year. Mm-hmm. Like it's not going to, we're not going to, you know, it's going to take time for us to get to all of them. But I've never watched all four of them so closely together. And I think being able to follow the progression of sort of the internal logic of these movies and of the universe and of what makes a toy a toy is going to be really kind of fascinating. Right? Like is the eight ball sentient? Oh, oh well, there's a whole cool YouTube video about that. There's a YouTube video because I was trying to find just an image of Woody holding the eight ball because he is feeling jealous of Buzz and Andy can bring one toy with him to Pizza Planet and he asks if it's going to be him and says Outlook not so good or I wouldn't count on it or whatever. And so he throws the eight ball and it goes behind the desk, right? And I found this YouTube video where the guy, and I don't know that it's necessarily a theory. He calls it a theory. He even discredits it as a theory, but it's just sort of like this through line about how the eight ball represents neglect, sort of. He throws it behind the desk and that's when he has the real to knock Buzz behind the desk, but then he knocks Buzz out the window. And then in Toy Story 2, when Woody rips his arm, he's put it on a top shelf next to the eight ball, another forgotten toy. And in Toy Story 3, when Andy's little sister is getting rid of toys, she's got the eight ball and she throws it away. And then the eight ball gets fall, it falls out of the box. Like there's this whole, like it, it sort of winds up with lost toys. Yeah, it's like part of the inciting incident. It's very interesting. In all of them. And it's not, like it doesn't behave sort of I mean it kind of behaves like it kind of answers Woody in the the right way but like it doesn't function the way that other toys in the franchise do not at all like at first I thought it was just being snarky uh, you know being like making fun of Woody being like you're not the new one like I thought it had a mind at first but then I came to realize wait like think there are toys that can't do this you know like I'm sure one of his Hot Wheels right like what can that do really it's got doesn't have a face or anything but like that is even more of a conundrum for me to sort of grasp this time as an adult. It's like sparsing apart like what is alive or what has the potential for sentience and what doesn't, because does it go beyond toys? Like, I'm not sure at this point, but maybe. I mean, can we talk about RC? He's on the edge here. Like, he, he can be controlled even by other toys. Yeah. And he, does, and he seems to require batteries to be sentient unlike the others. Right. Weird. I don't know the answers to these questions, but I'm just glad that, like, we've kind of brought him to the surface a little bit. I mean, I know the answer is this is definitely just, like, stop overlooking it as a children's movie. It's just a lot of fun. I hate that answer, but... No, but it's not... I don't think it is. Like, that's what we were trying to say. Like, it's more than that, right? Like, this is a, this is an important movie in a lot of ways in the history of animation, in the history of, really, in, in cinema, but also just in terms of kids' movies. Like, this is where movies kind of became more than just kids' movies, sort of, right? Like... Yeah. Disney movies are sort of for all ages, but this, there's jokes in here. Like, at one point, Rex says, they're all talking about, like, you know, I'm from Play School, I'm from Mattel. He goes, I'm from Mattel. Well, actually, I'm from a smaller company that was purchased by Mattel at a leveraged buyout. That's not a joke <laughs> for kids. That's a joke that is, I don't even know that's for adults. That's a joke to keep the parents awake. Even the Bo Peep joke in the beginning, like, it, it, it go right over a kid's head when she's like, hey, Woody, like, I'm just a few blocks away, and she walks yeah. past, like, a few little blocks but that's not what she means she's saying like come around anytime you know did you guys see uh mr potato head uh, make an ass kissing gesture with his lips yeah that was I a big that. one I've, I've always missed that one that's the first time i saw that one i mean there's definitely a history of progressive messages and sort of subversive messages both in disney movies and all just all kids entertainment that i think both help parents sort of bear the time like this is a blessedly short runtime. i didn't remember this movie was 81 minutes including credits there's no like credit scene like not that the newer ones are much longer i think they're all well under two hours but this is like a very very short movie and i was like oh man like this is like it flies through and i think that helps parents watch it probably a hundred or a thousand times but i think it's also the weird stuff here like the that kind of stuff like the like the horror like the straight up horror elements at the end of this movie <laughs> when the toys attack sid like there's stuff in here that i think is entertaining for kids but also like makes people you know whether you're a parent or just 
just people like us looking way too deeply into a movie like oh there's more here yeah i think like the core of it like well first of all like it's the animation like parents are going to want to see this because of the technology right like that's a instant like ticket right there i think parents are be like sure i'll take you to this cartoon like no one's ever seen anything like this before like i'm going to check this out uh, but like at the core of this is like a really solid pretty simple plot it's not even really a plot it's just about two characters who can't get along and then they do and i think that's great because like woody sort of represents the past and maybe the parents in a way and that sort of way of thinking and buzz could sort of be like their children right like he's kind of got add like he's better technology like he's from the future and <laughs> they sort of end up finding sort of this common ground by the end of the film and being together so there, i mean like that's not the only thing going on there but i'm just saying like it's in there if you're looking for it so there could be this like subconscious way to bond with your kids while watching this movie like and just understanding better people from different generations even mm, i like that take now zach is there a particular moment or a scene or a character i guess i want to do two different things because i think the characters in this even in the, like i know that as the franchise goes on they're all more they're all more well defined but i think this movie does a really good job of establishing so many toys so quickly even without having like a suicide squad music drop and like a title card for each of them you know what i mean <laughs> Like, they establish who they are, their tone of voice, their type of humor, their role in the community. So I want to do a two-part question we've never done before in any of the Tom Tom Club episodes. Uh-huh. What is your favorite moment or scene in the movie, and do you have a favorite toy in the movie? Hmm. Let me think. Favorite toy in the movie i loved all the little bits and bobs that the army men did i think there was a lot of imagination in their scenes also curious though if they're um since their binoculars worked do their guns work very good question although like buzz's laser doesn't work i mean it lights up but it doesn't actually do anything true true why do all fake binoculars work though that's a question i don't know i love rc i i think he's great i'm like choosing off off the beaten path ones but i also love wallace sean and anything so he was the rex right he was rex right he was awesome they're also great i mean i guess the part of why these characters seem so well defined is like a lot of these are toys we already had and so we already have personalities on them everyone's fucking great sorry i don't have a favorite no that's okay scene i might go with the scene where they reveal themselves to be sentient i think is just uh, it's just burned in my head this of woody's head turning all the way around at the end with sid the toys of the living dead yeah that definitely left a mark on me as as a young weird kid and i loved it and it still held up and yeah it was great yeah, i think you make a great point about like the toys like we know them already like they're instantly recognizable like we all i mean maybe not all of us but like most people played with a mr potato head or, or had like a slinky dog or, or something like a like a puppet with a string attached you know i didn't have woody i had Wee herman but like you still had to pull the string and it talked and stuff so it's just like really clever on that behalf in general where it's like you match that with like Don Rickles, you know, or like Wallace Shaw, like you're saying, or like Tom Hanks and stuff. Like, it's so gold, like when you just put the right toy to the right voice. It's awesome. I think what's really smart that what Pixar did about these toys is that the main characters are all new toys, so that you go into the movie without like a preconceived notion of what they are or who they should be, right? It's not like Potato Head is the main character. So number one, it makes them, it allows them the opportunity to sell lots and lots and lots and lots and lots of toys, all Woody toys. But number two, I think that it, it establishes, like it said, it sort of sets a baseline for, or like a blank slate for what people expect of a character, because even if you don't necessarily think about it, you probably have some weird kind of sense of like what a Potato Head should be like, or what a slinky dog should be like or what an rc car should be like i think that's 
what helps them to find the supporting characters because we were familiar with those. And some of the more generic, I think, supporting characters seem to be in place of name brand products that wouldn't that didn't give permission because a lot of people thought this movie was going to be a flop or they didn't think it was going to do as well as it did or they didn't want to have the toys depicted in the way that they wanted to. So Combat Carl, who Sid blows up, which Combat Carl is throughout all these movies, I think there's a bunch of Combat Carls in the fourth one, mm-hmm. that was supposed to be a G.I. Joe. But right. Hasbro was like, we're not going to let you blow up a G.I. Joe, so we're not going to give you the rights to that. And so they used Combat Carl instead. Mm-hmm. And Bo Peep was originally supposed to be a Barbie, but Mattel thought that it was going to be a flop, and so they didn't want Barbie to be there. They didn't want to sort of have people, like, I think they wanted, didn't want a defined personality or a sense of, like, what Barbie was. And then when they saw that Toy Story was so successful, Barbie and Ken and everybody come in later movies too. Right. So I think it's an interesting what could have been, but it's I, I love the idea of a world sort of full of brand name products and characters and toys, but in the background where the new, the main characters are all brand new, clean slate, fresh faces. That's Wreck-It Ralph. Exactly. Uh, yeah, you're right. Like, it, it, it's interesting how they mixed. I didn't even realize, uh, you know, and that's how well done it is. Like, it didn't even occur to me, hey, where's Barbie? Because we've got all this other stuff, too. Like, Etch-A-Sketch shows up. I'm like, it didn't have to do that, but that's a great joke. You know, draw, and he, like, oh, lit, so actually good. draws something. It's great. And then they have the, the very menacing, ominous noose that Etch-A-Sketch draws later. Oh, yeah. To taunt Woody. Mike, what about you? Do you have a favorite toy, and do you have a favorite scene or moment? One of the weirdest toys I always thought in this movie was the squeaky shark. And I always love when he came out yes. wearing Woody's hat and he's like, look at me, I'm Woody. <laughs> I'm the sheriff in town. Oh, he was so good. You know, I, I, don't, I can't really play favorites, but I, I always love when uh, squeaky shark is just kind of like sitting there squeaking. So I'll go with squeaky shark this time. Uh, as far as like my favorite moment, I mean, you know, the, the when the toys come alive at the end is, is great and everything. But I really also like uh, how not just this, but like all the Toy Stories start off, I think, with Andy playing with his toys and stuff. And uh, I really liked it this time around, how it opens up the opening when uh, he's got like the the pig, like holding up the bank or whatever's going on. And like it's got the cardboard boxes and everything. It was just really cool to actually see the movie start with Andy playing with the toys and then they sort of come alive after that uh, because you never know like it could just be a movie about a boy playing with his toys like that you know and then they stand up and, and walk around and everything and so I, I really like that moment I, I still think that works uh, to be honest like when this movie started and I'm sure we'll talk about the visuals and, and if they've held up and how well they've held up and yep. stuff but I was kind of like oh boy uh, but then like you know it, it starts playing and like it's really well directed and and this opening sequence is so great like it just sinks me right into the rest of the movie so I, i think they do a great job opening it up and i think that the movie is also really smart in how it sets things up like you're saying it's well directed but i mean even narratively toward the end when they're on the rc car like you were saying before zach and they're trying to get back to the moving truck as the moving truck is speeding away and woody has the match in his pocket or you know in his little holster because sid put it there because he's going to burn he's going to set woody on fire so he has the match there for safekeeping for later so they have that and then it get you know the car goes by and it blows out but then he remembers that there's the the way that Sid was using the magnifying glass to burn a hole in his forehead he's able to do that with Buzz's helmet like his his mask right and like I just love that these little moments that sort of seem like it could just be on its own once again set up a future development like it's the kind of thing that I saw and loved a lot in like Paddington 2 and I think it's those movies that you know a lot of kids movies you could have a joke in there just to be a joke or a scene or a moment or whatever just to have a thing happening but then to reference those later to bring those back I think elevates those kind of movies to the next level and I think the ability to not only have Sid in character torturing Woody but then to later have the same technology the same way of starting a fire really come back into play and help our heroes like that's brilliant 
Chekhov's magnifying lens. Yeah. I mean, this movie is really tight and really well written, and I think it's because they just kept rewriting it over and over to get it as best they could. And, you know, even setting up Sid in the beginning, and, like, I never imagined they'd actually end up in Sid's house, like, or in his backyard, or getting the best of him. And so, like, he's set up really early, and that's really good, and, like, all the callbacks work really well, and it's just super tight. I'm trying to think if I have a favorite toy or not. I mean, Woody is great. I'm fascinated here that Woody's kind of the villain. Like, he's not, but most of the characters think he's the villain for most of the movie. Oh, have you seen the, uh, like, the previs of the original cut, kind of? Like, I forget where I've seen this. It was some Pixar documentary, but they're going in a pitch Toy Story, and they have the drawn animatics, you know? They don't have anything animated yet, but apparently Woody was, like, way, way, way more of a dick and, like, just came off, like, super harsh. I was going to say, was this Tom Hanks' most petty role? I feel like he's petty kind of in a lot of movies. I feel like that's kind of one of his go-tos, really. Like, for comedic effect, though. And I think what's fascinating, though, is that we just did Collateral over on Cruise Club, where Cruise is so rarely the villain, and then, you know, are, are there we have Cruise as a bad guy. And here, Woody's not exactly the bad guy, but Woody doesn't really have pure intentions. And apparently, early on, he was supposed to be, like, super sarcastic and sort of unlikable, and they scrapped the entire script and had him be more of a hero, more of an upstanding guy. Yeah, but he's not like you know a sheriff right like he's not this symbol of honesty and bravery and all this kind of stuff like he cowers a lot like he lies a lot like it's he's you know he's more of like a real person uh which is very interesting because you'd think like oh i'm a toy sheriff i you know would act like one but no he has his own personality and stuff and i guess that's what buzz discovers too he's like i don't have to act like a space ranger at one point and throughout the rest of the series he'll sort of develop his own identity. Apparently, John Lasseter, who directed this movie, one of his favorite movies is The Shining, and a lot of Sid's house is modeled after The Shining. Like, it's got the carpet. There's Mrs. Nesbitt, who I think is a reference to The Shining, and, to the, and there's, like, the Overlook Hotel. Like, there's a lot of things in here. One of my favorite scenes, and it's just such a weird scene, is when Buzz is drunk on tea, and Woody is, like, slaps him back into being, but, like, it's such a weird, bizarre scene, and I feel like it's the, the kind of introduction, sort of, to the horror show that is Sid's house. Like, we see when they get to the, Sid's room, you know, there's the baby doll spider there's the walking legs with the fishing pole real freak show horror stuff here but i feel like this is where we see a lot of it like in it how it could sort of be normal as opposed to ominous and that almost makes it more unsettling and i think you know like you guys are saying when when they become sentient i love that moment but i think that's all like the sort of subtle creepiness of sid's gallery of creations that really is fascinating and terrifying because andy's house is such a pure joy like all the colors are light and you know there's tension between woody and buzz but for the most part, everybody's kind of happy. And over there, it's just like, we don't know what we are, but we're making the most of it. And like, we're just going to have tea without heads. Like, it's like, oh boy, okay. Seriously, absentee parents at Sid's house. And like, the only adult was like asleep on the couch. Every time he calls for mom, no one responds. He gets like explosives sent to him in the mail, no problem whatsoever. I mean, yeah, it's the complete opposite of like what. Like, it's even more than the opposite of what Andy's house is or what Woody's used to or any anything like that. Like, we are off the charts. Like, this is toy hell, basically, right? Like, I think that's what this is supposed to signify. It's like, he's the devil uh, as far as toys are concerned. He's even got the big skull and crossbones on his chest and stuff. But I also think this is not that far from reality, you know? It's like, I was never Sid, but, like, I took toys apart and, you know, switched heads and arms and put them back How together. How dare you? <laughs> I dare say it's a way of way kids 
kids played with their toys was sort of mixing sure. and matching and re- reconstructing them and stuff like that. But I mean, Sid is on a whole darker level, though. Like he's, they, I almost was like, mm, did they go a little too far with him? But I guess he gets his comeuppance, and he's young enough that he'll be he'll reform eventually. But that's just some of the most creative stuff. It's like all those toy designs and everything like that too. It's just really creepy. I kind of felt bad for Sid. I mean, it didn't feel like he had you know the nicest upbringing. You know, it was his absentee parents. Like his bed was like unmade at all. Like there's no like bedding on it. He slept with his butt in the air. Like under the surface, you can tell he's not having the best go of life. And I kind of felt bad for Sid at, at, at times. We only see it from the toy's perspective, the way he behaves, right? So like obviously it's gonna be like he's you know the bringer of doom of course like because he blows up his toys and things like that and stuff so like but like yeah you know that's only when he's playing with toys he could be who knows how well adjusted he is otherwise when he's with his parents if they are ever around but like his backyard's like trashed like his house just isn't very nice like he's he's definitely like he's a poor kid he's not having i mean we'll know in later movies that he returns presumably as a garbage can like there's that theory or there's that you know the kid with the skull beanie or the shirt or whatever is probably sid grinnell so he's you know, he makes it. He doesn't, you know, he's not necessarily thriving, but he's doing pretty well. I think that's also, like, an interesting, like, you know, the absentee parent in Sid's house, parents in Sid's house. And again, here, like, is Andy's dad dead? Are they divorced? Like, what, are they moving because the family split up? Like, we don't really know the background to the family, but there's, an, once again, sort of in a Disney movie, there's the sense of, like, loss or something missing, right? Yeah, it almost feels Spielbergian to me in that sense, where, like, growing up in the 80s, you know, he was always working out his father issues soon we'll be talking about war of the worlds over there on cruise club and uh, a lot of daddy issues going on but like i definitely got the same sense i was like we're not going to address even for an instance like what happened to andy's dad or we never ever find out i don't think right it's not about andy it's not no it's about the toys andy's essentially their dad i guess right growing more absentee by the uh, episode on the flip side of things let's talk about you know, things that we could have changed or fixed. And I think the big thing to talk about here, and again, like it's hard, I think it's really hard to frame this movie, like in terms of rating it as a score on Letterboxd, in terms of ranking it where it falls among Tom Hanks' best movies. I need to keep in mind that this is probably the worst of the Toy Story movies, but it's still great. And I know that it's the worst looking, but it still looks great. And it's still revolution. Like it's hard, especially after the fact, especially since like Toy Story 4 is maybe like the, the most beautiful movie that's ever been made. Like how do we frame this historically? Because I think you could say that this movie doesn't look good at points, but then, you know, they go to the toys. Like, I think one of the things that this movie sort of struggles with, I think it's just a technical limitation of 1995, is that the people don't look great. The toys look spectacular for the most part. The people are not great. Like, Andy's birthday party are all just Andy clones with different color hair and different color skin. Like, they're all the same same model. And I think that's one thing that really stands out 25 years after the fact. But again, that's 25 years after the fact, and this meant so much to the history of everything. But I think it's an interesting thing to discuss both within the frame of history and also this franchise and also you know, sort of Tom Hanks movies as a whole. Like, I have this at number three, Mike, but, like, this is going to be the lowest of all the Toy Story movies, so, like, what? Like, I, what? It's weird because I remember when this movie came out thinking, like, it can't get better than this. Like, this looks insane. Like, this is incredible. <laughs> like, I love this stuff. Like, I want more as fast as possible. And, like, looking back on it now, and I really have not sat down and watched, like, a scene from this movie in years and years, in, like, eight years, maybe? At times, this, this movie scared the shit out of me the way it looked. Like, it is super crude at times. Some faces are really wonky. There's things with, like, other characters going on that look, not like mistakes, but just, like, you know, hide it. Or you know, there seems yeah, to be a lot of tricks. Yeah, there's there's a, some of the uh, like characters 
I could have sworn they're just like they're 2D. They're not even 3D in some scenes because they don't have to move or anything like that. So it's just like, you know, these are tricks that they needed to pull to get this done with the right. technology that they had at the time. Well, I think the very premise, I think the very premise is to get around their limitations, right? Like they're like, we need bright colors, simple shapes, and oh, toys. Shiny surfaces. Like Now, that's not to say I don't love this movie. It's just to say that at this point, I can't help rewatching it and it being a factor like i said like when it came out i thought it couldn't get better but like now i can't believe how far they've progressed like it's blowing my mind like comparing this to part four apparently i need to see part four i mean i i was actually surprised at how infrequently i was uh dismayed at the graphics i, I thought it was you know obviously there's some situations where i was just like wow that was bad or like are you, that's really pixelated or whatever or just flat but for the most part i was I, what i was really taken with was just how much care and and attention went into the animations to make it super just fluid and and give it life and energy without it having to be super photorealistic i always think about like the difference between like a modern ps4 game and a modern switch game Mm -hmm. yeah nintendo has actually purposely gone back in the graphics race because they focused on they're focusing on more toy story looking games and they're all about the gameplay and about clever animations that make that like are just evergreen and i think because Woody is so expressive, and uh, and every every face is just like every frame has its own thing going on. I watched. I noticed that like a lot of the characters blink one eye at a time, and I'm like, they didn't have to do that. It's probably harder. It's like all this this thought went into every moment, and it just it masks so many mistakes technically. And I think they're also smart about what they don't show. Like there were a lot of technical limitations at the time. Like they couldn't really do explosions. They couldn't really do liquid. They couldn't really do hair that well. But I think they hide all that. Like you know, Woody dunks his head in the milk, but we see him come up with cereal in his eyes. We mm. don't see Combat Carl blow up. But I think it's also to save the horror of a kids movie having an exploding toy in it. You don't really see hair, but it's also like not really about the people. Like it's it's different. You know, it's the toys can all sort of have like that plasticky hair, and I think that's fine. Like I think the limitations that they have, they hide well by showing so much other stuff. But then you get to, like, you know, like, Mike, we were talking about on Toy Story 4, in the new one, in the modern technology, where, like, there's just, like, dust bunnies exquisitely, immaculately laid out atop of a, a dresser. Like, we, how, why are you showing off? Like, I don't understand. <laughs> Weird flex, but okay. Yeah. Yeah, no, honestly, everything just from, like, the blades of glass to the refracting light from a chandelier in part four is just, like, mind-boggling realistic. And, like, that's the thing, is, like, they've, they've come so far and not very long time and i guess that's just you know that's the rate of technology so it's great i mean you know it's only making the movies better like it's great because the movies you know you go back and watch this and it's like oh it doesn't necessarily like rely on perfection as far as animation because it's got the story to back it up it's got the guts to be you know that's what's really good about it and that's why i think there's you know part four just came out like it persists like it created a dent we can't live without toy story anymore i feel like they're like demanded part four it must be made and thankfully it was we got to kaboom but yeah it's just it became you know part of everyone's like life like disney you know it's it's synonymous now with all that stuff with like mickey and everything so do you have in front of you how long it took like each frame to render back in 95 i I feel like I could render this real time on my iPhone at this point. Possibly, probably. I and mean, your, your your iPhone is probably more powerful than the computer that they use to make this 95. I do know that back in, I think, 2013, 
2018, I want to say, people remade this movie shot for shot with real people and real toys, and it took them like three years. But I think oh that's two years. But that's, that's that's less of a function of technology and more just like there's a lot going on here. You know what I mean? So what, like they did like stop action. I don't. I honestly don't know. Jonathan Pauly. Uh, let me see if I can find this online. Yeah, I'll watch the hell out of that. But is there anything like while I look this up, is there anything that you would recommend or think that you think you would change or remove? Add like what about this doesn't work for you? Is there anything about this that you would think in retrospect should have been done differently? Buzz actually flying. In my memory, he just did another like cool uh, acrobatic maneuver like he did in the beginning, and then I watched it and I was like, oh no, he actually flies at the end or glides. Yeah, doesn't work for me. Doesn't work for me. Yeah, I will admit like I think like that little ending chasing the moving trucks a little sort of weird I, I mean I, I still bought it the thing that doesn't work for me the most like we mentioned the humans and all that and like I kind of give them a little bit of a leeway on people because you know that's not what they were really going for and they did a good job of keeping most of the humans out of the shots for the most part but Sid's dog is so oh, uh, bad it's especially when you see that cat in part four it's just like even when you see the dog in part two it's like light years better than this dog it's like I, it's buzz light years better than uh. <laughs> it's almost to the point where i was like did he really need a dog too like he's vicious enough like he didn't need to feed his toys to a dog and stuff but plus it's a pit bull and pit bulls have a lot of bad raps these days that's uh, bad politics and I, I feel like i was just starting to get used to you know the style again and the animation and here comes this dog and i was like damn it like my eyes just don't buy it his eyes look pasted on they're really bad uh, but that's that might be it for me really i love the randy newman songs just gotta give a <laughs> shout out to kyle over there on foodie films always makes me <laughs> laugh with his randy newman impressions yeah zach is there anything about this that you would change because i'm sort of struggling to come up with thing i think the the dog is sort of a glaring not great animation style and i think i mean i think it works narratively uh, but is there anything about this movie that you would change or remove or swap out or add yeah just what i mentioned about buzz flying is in the end i would I would make it be him bouncing off of something, flipping over a, a light, uh, like a, um, a telephone pole or something. You know, like he doesn't need to glide to achieve what he did. And there's just no way he's aerodynamic like that. I'm, it's just that's I hope someone got fired for that blunder. <laughs> I guess it's sort of the, the whimsy of childhood, but I think Andy's kind of a dummy. Like, he's like, I can't find Buzz and Woody. And then at the end, they fall through the sunroof into the box, like, right on top. They're like, oh, here he is. And then, like, that, they're just like, oh, yeah. So I understand that that's sort of like the child, like, oh, yeah, they were here the whole time. Like, it's fine. But I kind of wish that there was maybe a little bit more. Yeah. I think it's also like it's supposed to be the sweet ending there. You know what I mean? I can't fault it too much. But I think there's some stuff that's sort of chalked up to be like, oh, yeah, like, the things just worked out. Oh, well, you know, it's also like it's either, either that. Or you have to wrangle your mind around the possibility that your toys might be sentient and fell into the, the, the sunroof somehow. Yeah, let's see like an alternate reality where like Andy slowly loses his mind because he realizes <laughs> that everybody around him is sentient. I want to see an alternate universe where all the toys just go enough of this shit. Why are we? Why are we not? letting people know we're alive like we need to start we need to all come out together and start a, a toy union you know we need to like just like let the un know that we are sentient and we deserve rights wow we need to figure out what's happening at these factories that's bestowing sentience in the first place i, I want to see you know the toy universe grow in a really dark and political way I want to see that too. That's not at all where I was going to go with it, but that is, <laughs> that's great. 
it, it could be peaceful. I mean, they just have their own, you know, Wakanda or something, you know, but like they, you know, they, at least they start off by or the, the, the whole plot could be them trying to come to a, an amendment or something. And like, everyone's like, oh, we, we've, we've always done it this way and it's been fine. Why do we need to treat them any differently just because they're alive? I don't know. It could be interesting. You know, one of the uh, screenwriters on this movie is Joss Whedon. I feel like that could be a project that he could tackle at some point. So absolutely. You never know. Any other thoughts about Toy Story? I got a bunch of trivia, but anything else you want to say about Toy Story? Anything, any favorite moments, any scenes? any characters any lines before we uh, hit some trivia have some more you know conversation points there and then play a couple games i had one other thing i think we hit all my points but i think pizza planet looks awesome and i wish that we had one growing up it's just all the games are looks like super fun oh you never had a chuck e cheese or anything like that near you we had, we had Chuck E. Cheese. We didn't have fucking space-themed Chuck E. Cheese. It was way better. Yeah, I want, like, Whack-A-Mole where it's alien. Like, that's cool. Good call. All right, I hear Everything was, yeah. There was, yeah, they had Whack-A-Mole where aliens are jumping out of a guy's chest. Did you see that? Yeah. Whack-A-Alien. Whack-A-Alien. It was, it was out of a guy's chest. That's a dark fucking reference. That was great. I love Pizza Planet. I want Pizza Planet. And that's the truck that shows up in every single the Pixar movie, some way, somehow, right? The Pizza oh. Planet truck. Nice. Mike, any other thoughts? Any other... Uh favorite moments or favorite memories or anything you want to make sure you say about that Toy Story? I'm sure you're going to mention this in the trivia, but I couldn't help but think about it as the movie was going. Uh, I believe Hanks's brother does the voice of Woody for the toys, like yes. in reality. Mm-hmm. And so I wondered, huh. every, and I know it's not true in the movie, but every time the string was pulled in the movie, I thought that they how funny it would be if they used his brother for that voice so like he always played the actual toy uh when it was talking um but i couldn't stop thinking about that every time he pulled woody's string <laughs> like hanks his brother hanks his brother love it jim hanks yes 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 i do want to say that uh, when when woody hits turbo on rc i'm like oh it's like Nas. it's like fast and furious baby Ooh, <laughs> nice but he burns through the batteries too quickly. Too soon, Junior. Okay, Academy Award nominations. This movie received a special award. John Lasseter received a special achievement award for the development and inspired application of techniques that have made possible the first feature-length computer animated film. So this movie did not win any, like, you know, best picture or anything like that, best animated film, but it was just like, hey, you're doing something crazy. Here's an award. Uh, it was also nominated for Best Original Screenplay, Best Original Song for You Got a Friend of Me, and Best Original Score. At the Golden Globes, it was nominated for Best Motion Picture, Comedy, or Musical. It lost to a movie directed by George Miller, Babe. Oh, Babe. Oh, nice. Babe he 1? He calling you, Babe. Babe. Wait, hey, did babe. he direct Babe 1? I thought he only directed Babe 2, but he produced he them. He, he was involved. That's like his, that's like his baby. Oh, no pun intended. Uh, it's his baby. Chris Noonan directed Babe. Oh, I'm sorry. But yeah, so George Miller is involved. Yes. <laughs> so, yeah. So it lost to Babe. And then Best Original Song, uh, Randy Newman, You Got a Friend of Me, did not win that either. So trivia. Okay. Sid is inspired by the, a former Pixar employee, apparently, who was huh. known to disassemble toys and build g- bizarre creations, hmm. uh, which cool. is creepy. I like the spider baby. He's my favorite. Me too. Originally, like I said, Bo Peep was supposed to be Barbie, and at the end, Barbie was going to drive her Corvette out of the back of the truck and save Woody and Buzz at the end, a la Sarah Connor in Terminator 2. But Mattel declined because they didn't want Barbie to have a defined personality, so they reworked her into Bo Peep, and then when the film was a huge success, Mattel let Barbie appear in the second movie. Has a major role in the third movie. Mm-hmm. Billy Crystal offered a chance to play Buzz Lightyear, but declined. After he saw the movie, he said it was the biggest mistake of his career. And then when John Lasseter found out what Billy Crystal, like he, his regret, he called him uh, to ask him for Mike Wazowski and Monsters, Inc. And before he even heard what John Lasseter wanted to say, he just said, yes, uh, I will do it. Do you think we could have had a universe where Billy Crystal was in Galaxy Quest then? 
Mm. Maybe. Do you think we could have had a world where Tim Allen was Mikey in Monsters, Inc.? <laughs> the animation team. So one of the cool moments in here is the army men, which I was getting a little bit of flashes forward to Saving Private Ryan mm. and, you know, Don't Leave a Man Behind. But the way that they modeled the movements is that they nailed sneakers to a board and just tried to walk around in those. That's kind of a really cool, creative way to do that. Uh, Tom Hanks recorded his dialogue on the sets of A League of Their Own or while filming A League of Their Own and Sleepless in Seattle. Whoa, that long ago? Yeah, because he didn't want to do it in Philadelphia or Forrest Gump because he didn't think he should do comedic roles while he was in those characters, which I, you know, I understand. But they were recording dialogue that long ago? I guess, three years before. I mean, it makes sense, right? Yeah, yeah, I guess so. So Tom Hanks wanted to play Woody because he always wondered if his toys were alive and moved around when he was a kid. And Tim Allen said he wanted to be Buzz because they offered a Chevy Chase, and Chevy Chase said no. And Tim Allen apparently loves Chevy Chase. So much simpler explanation <laughs> there. Oh, my God. Woody and Buzz are both inspired by John Lasseter's childhood toys. Woody is based on his pull-string Casper doll. And once he grew out of Casper, he moved on to a G.I. Joe, a flashy toy at the time of childhood. So that was sort of the, you know, the new toy replacing the old. John Lasseter always wanted Tom Hanks to play Woody, claimed that Hanks, quote, had the ability to take emotions and make them appealing, even if the character is down and out and despicable. And they used his voice or lines from Turner and Hooch, which I think we talked about on the Turner and Hooch episode, oh, yeah. to convince Hanks to do the film. Buzz Lightyear originally was going to be called Lunar Larry, which is a terrible name. Oof. <laughs> wow. Joss Whedon, like I said, is one of the screenwriters, would go on to create Firefly, a uh, western in space. And in this movie, there is a cowboy and a spaceman. So that's a kind of a prequel, sort of, kind of. And then here is the long list of people who were considered at one point for the role. Apparently, it seemed like this was always Tom Hanks' role to lose. But I think if they ever wanted someone else, there's a list of these. But from the bottom up, John Cleese was considered for the role of Slinky Dog. Uh, Slinky Dog voiced by Bad Jim Varney. Rick Moranis, considered for the voice of Rex the Dinosaur. Okay, so then for Buzz... There's a bunch of names. There's Bill Murray, Jim Carrey, Chevy Chase, Bruce Willis, Mel Gibson, Dan Aykroyd, Kurt Russell, Bill Paxton, Kevin Costner, Howie Mandel, Michael Keaton, Matthew Broderick, Adam Sandler, David Hasselhoff, Michael J. Fox, Richard Gere, Daniel Stern, Jason Alexander, Wayne Knight, John Travolta, and Dennis Quaid, all considered for the role of Buzz Lightyear. Are you a middle-aged white man in 1995? With some kind of clout or cred. For the role of Woody, uh, here are some names, some of these crossover names. Paul Newman, Jim Carrey, Paul Hogan, Clint Eastwood, Sean Connery, Robin Williams, Martin Short, Kevin Kline, Alec Baldwin, Robert De Niro, Tommy Lee Jones, Emilio Estevez, Charlie Sheen, John Goodman and Dustin Hoffman because they have the role of Woody. So it's like, are you a middle-aged white man with a little bit more cred and clout? You could be Woody. <laughs> it sounds like we could have had a world where uh, Jim Carrey did both. Yeah, well, we had Edward Norton in Collateral over on Cruise Club offered both roles, both the uh, Jamie Foxx role and the Tom Cruise role. So, I mean, we could have that movie with two of him and we could have uh, Jim Carrey and two here. So, I mean, it could have been a whole, a whole new world. <laughs> I think that's all the trivia that there is for Toy Story. So let us... Now, think about what this movie would be like if Tom Cruise did the voice of Woody, Sheriff Woody. Uh, Zach, do you think Tom Cruise could voice Woody? And if not, is there another toy or another character that you think he could have done the voice of? Ooh, okay. I think he could manage it, though I feel like he might make a better Buzz, just because Buzz is the more, like, action movie, like, sexy, cool guy. Yeah, I agree with that. I almost, I see a little bit of action Cruise in in Buzz, like if you're gonna make a cruise toy, I agree with that like entirely. Like I think he could do it, but I think he'd be a better Buzz. I think his his Woody would come across maybe a little more mean, or more spiteful. 
maybe OG Woody? Yeah, maybe the direction mm-hmm. they're trying to get away from originally, but I would love to see him as Buzz. I think that would be another good one. Yeah, I think that's good. I think that this movie is really, truly kind of two characters. Like, it's the two voices for most of it. Like, they have, you know, the carousel of characters. They have the background. They have the chorus in the Andy's room, and they have all the Sid's toys, and they have from here and there, and they have the aliens and stuff like that. But really, it's just the two of them. And I don't think you cast a guy like Tom Cruise in any kind of background role. I, I agree with both of you. I think it's a better buzz than a Woody. He might be a good Sid. Ooh. Who voices Sid? The voice of Sid is Eric Von Detten. Hmm. All right, so now we have a very important question here. Does Tom Hanks do anything in this movie that sets him on the road to becoming America's dad? I mean, he becomes the voice of a toy of a generation, so kind of. Yeah, I mean, he already is kind of, as we talked about, he is kind of the dad to the toys, and he is the older generation. I think we're pretty much there, too. In another movie or so, we might have to stop asking this question because, you know, point is proven pretty much. Like, we're almost there, though. Like, well, then maybe yeah. we ask, maybe the, maybe the question we then ask is, what's the most dad moment? Or does he do anything that sets him on the path to becoming America's, like... Not dad. Ex-dad. But yeah, I like that idea that it's what he did to make the movie behind the scenes. Like, look at all the joy he's going to bring kids for the rest of their lives. Like, and they're all going to know it's Tom Hanks. And like, that's what a great thing to be connected to. I guess like when he, when he's giving a pep talk to Buzz, that felt kind of dadish, you know, slapping him out of it. Maybe without the smacking, but maybe with it, who knows? But I love the the whole that whole conversation under the bus when he's like, "You're a toy." Like just the whole concept of trying to wake him up or something or enlighten him, maybe. And like I always feel like maybe there's a point in a kid's life or a teenager's life where the parent is trying to sort of do that, get them to see the world from a different <laughs> angle and open their eyes a little bit more, and be less self-centered. That whole gag. So whatever, Dad. I'm a spaceman. You don't know me. I kind of can't believe that that scene also shares the, it's the perfect time to panic line. Like, I feel like there's a handful of lines from this movie, there's more than a handful, but a handful that are, like, really kind of iconic that are memorable to this movie, and then multiple in the same scene, it's just like, whoa, like, this is just a tightly, perfectly written, catchy, memorable script. Yeah, they don't feel like lines that they're like, ooh, everyone's going to remember this. It just happened. Like, it just, in by virtue of, the, of it all coming together. It's perfect economy. It's just, like, you can't put a throwaway line in there. You have to animate that mouth for, like, four days. Yeah, good point. Right. If we're going to sit there and watch it render for a week and a half, yeah, we better make sure we know what it's saying. <laughs> I do want to make a note of that sort of modern-day Hanks. He will be receiving a Cecil B. DeMille, I think, Lifetime Achievement Award at this year's Golden Globes, and he'll also be nominated for Mr. as Mr. Rogers in A Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood. So if you are watching or if you're listening to this in, I think, next week, possibly, next Sunday night, I want to say January 5th, there's the Golden Globes. So if you want to watch Tom Hanks, if you're listening to this podcast, I'm assuming you probably like Tom Hanks, watch him receive a lifetime achievement award and also see if he'll win a win a golden globe so pretty pretty cool stuff time to nominate this for some awards the woodies which is very appropriate for this do we want to nominate here's the here's a tough question mike do we want to nominate this for best film or knowing probably the other three toy stories are better do we leave this one off i mean that's the thing like it's gonna like my fa- i like it's a great movie it's not my favorite toy story movie so like i don't know if it'd be fair just to leave it up there for like what three weeks four weeks or five whatever you know like it, yeah yeah i just don't think it's gonna last so we gotta we just have to be i feel a little more economical on our choosings sure but we will we have to nominate him for best role woody in toy story because of course oh yeah best ensemble also once again toy story i think because there's so many good voices here like just from little characters to big characters all wonderful now here's an interesting thing best fight do is there a fight in here that we want to nominate do they ever go to blows yeah right do they wait um, in the UFO catcher, maybe? I can't remember if they ever actually... It feels like they're always kind of fighting. 
Oh yeah, they fight underneath the car, don't they? They kind of they kind of have a little bit of a punch out in the car. I know Buzz punches Woody in the face at one point. I guess if we can't really recall it, then it's really not that memorable. Oh, and then Woody using Buzz's uh, karate chop action to stave off the misfit toys. Oh, okay, yeah. Woody, okay, I say I'll say Buzz and Woody versus the misfit toys. I like that name for them too. It reminds me of Rudolph, the island of misfit toys. Best dance scene? I don't think so, right? Not in this one. Best party scene. We're gonna have a party in Toy Story 4 inside the jukebox or whatever, where we show where we meet Duke Kaboom. We kind of missed the birthday party in this, right? We hear about it from the room. <laughs> oh yeah, that's good though. Best outfit wardrobe, cowboy outfit, cowboy outfit in uh, Toy Story. Oh yeah, it's the skin technically. True, true. Best line. Do we want to say "Reach for the sky" or "You are a toy"? There's a snake in my boot. Or is that a best free? I think best freakout is "You are a toy," right? Best freakouts, you're a toy, but yeah, like, Zach's, I, for some reason, the line I always say with this movie is, you're, there's a snake in my boot. I don't know why that stuck with me for however long it's been, but when I think of Woody, for some reason, I think, does he say that in this one? He does. Okay. I think he says boots. I, I I heard it, I heard it, and I was like, that doesn't make physical sense, because I, I, I always hear it as a snake in my boot. Maybe I was going crazy for a minute. Yeah, there's a snake in my boot is my Woody go-to also. I think it's just the most unique of the things he says. Best soundtrack theme score, for sure. Best Hank's love story, I'm going to say... We we can get to Bo Peep when we get to Bo Peep. Like, this is not... The Bo Peep romance is not the romance yet. No, and this is not a bromance either. It's more of an odd couple thing going on. Yeah. Yes. And then, in that regard, do we want to nominate someone for best non-Hank's actor, male or female? Do we want to say Tim Allen for Buzz Lightyear? Is there someone else in this... Like, sort of knowing we're going to have four of these, is... Uh, Tim Allen's... I mean, he's pretty great as Buzz. Yeah. He maintains for four movies. So I'll put him down. It's remarkable, too, because I don't really like his other... Like, I don't like him, like, his live-action stuff. Like, I kind of can't... It's one of those few people I just kind of can't stand it. I don't know why. I don't... I used to watch the Tool Time show and everything, like, as a little kid, but just, like, now I can't. But I, I, I could still go back to Buzz and totally get down with that. That's it. When I grew up as a kid, I kind of had this impression that I liked Tim Allen, and I really think this movie is, like, what gave me that impression. And then I never watched Home Improvement. I never... I think... I, like, if you ask me to name, like, a couple movies in which I like him, it's this and Galaxy Quest, and I can't even think of any other movies that he's in off the top of my head. Oh, the Santa Clauses. Oh, yeah, I liked those as a kid, too. Oh, good point. Santa Claus brought up a lot on a recent episode of High School Slumber Party between Kyle and Brian, so if you want more Santa Claus talk, you know, with the E at the end, go listen to the Let It Snow episode of High School Slumber Party. But we have nominated Tom Hanks in our Toy Story for eight awards for eight Woodies. Best Role, Best Ensemble, Best Fight, Best Outfit Wardrobe, Best Line, Best Freakout, Best Soundtrack, and Best Non-Hanks Actor Male. So pretty solid showing for kind of objectively maybe the worst of the four Toy Story movies, which is crazy to think. Well, it reminds me of uh, what you usually say over on Too Fast, Too Forever, when it's like, you know, one of these has to be the lowest, yep. but that's still yep. really high up on, on other lists. So Yeah, and this there there is no Fate of the Furious in uh, the Toy Story franchise yet, uh, so there's no actual bad one. But, Zach, thank you so much for joining us. You'll be back, I think, plenty more times for both Cruise Club and Hanks for the Memories, but thank you for joining us tonight for Toy Story. Thank you for having me. For all things Hanks for the Memories, you can go to cageclub.me, facebook.com slash cageclub, or at cageclubpod on Twitter and Instagram. Email us, hanks at cageclub.me. Come back next week for Collateral on Cruise Club, another feed. Come back in two weeks for Tom Hanks' first directorial feature, a movie we already covered on Watch the Throne, That Thing You Do. Very exciting. Very excited to watch that movie again and talk about it again, you and me, Mike. And this is the last Hanks of the Memories of 2019. This is the first year that we did this podcast. And so there are 26 episodes. we got a full year next year. Sneak preview for 2020. Tom Cruise Cruise Club is we're going to basically catch up middle of the year-ish. 
And then in the back half of the year, Hanks for the Memories is going to go weekly. And we're going to go through all of them. So we're going to sort of get another 13 or so, I think, between now and June-ish. And then the back half, we're going to do another like 25, 26. And as it stands right now, we're going to wrap up by the end, I think, of 2020. Um, you know, barring some special episodes, some bonus stuff or whatever. But we've got another full year, I think, of Hanks for the Memories. So lots more Tom Hanks performances, good and some bad to come. I'm Joey Lewandowski. And I'm Mike Nancy. And that was our guest, Zach Dazan, and we'll see you next time right here on Hanks for the Memories. You've got a friend in me. You've got a friend in me. When the road looks rough ahead and you're miles and miles from your nice warm bed, you just remember what your past is.